The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 60 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, I've not promoted Drum Factory Direct at all on this show, so if you're not really aware of what Drum Factory Direct is, it's your one-stop shop for all drum parts and accessories, sticks, heads, all that stuff. So if you're in, if you need to, you know, upgrade a kit, upgrade a drum, fix some broken stuff, um, we've got it all. So head over to drumfactordirect.com and get shopping. All right, so this week... I'm sitting down with Mike McKee. Mike McKee is one of the co-owners of Bald Man Percussion. He's also the drummer in the uh, modern country band Delta Ray. He also has his own uh, corporate business, which is called Drum Team Collective. So he's a very um, astute businessman, great drummer. Uh, really, really interesting conversation here about product development. We haven't done that yet on this show. So how does how does a, an idea become something you actually can sell and make some money on? So let's get into it with Mike McKee. Are you ready to dive in? I'm ready to dive in, man. And I was just telling you before we started recording that I got a, a two-week-old, and um, I didn't put on my makeup this morning. So hopefully, <laughs> this, in my wife's studio, we she runs a, a company downstairs in the house, so so gifting company. So that's what all this stuff is all about. Yeah, man. I want to focus most of this conversation on the business side of things. I feel like so many drummers leave good ideas untouched because they just don't know how to handle the business side of it like how to make a product how to develop a product how to launch a product so if you'll humor me we're going to go down that rabbit hole for the next hour i'm into it man that's uh, i'm absolutely into it so before we talk about your company Baldman percussion um do you come from a business background because i met you at a nam show i don't know when it was four or five years ago and right away it was like oh this this dude's not messing around. They've got a niche product, but they're they're very focused on the business of it. And I, that's clear, kind of messing, rare. To be clear, we are messing around. We're having a good time. <laughs> right, right. I'm not, I'm not a, you want to be a star. Don't tell us, make a million bucks. No, <laughs> um, I'll make dozens of dollars. But, right, right. Um, no, I, so both my parents are professional musicians and piano teachers and but by the by nature of doing music stuff, you are an entrepreneur. So I got to watch them literally because I'm one of four boys. I was I would watch them barter piano lessons for childcare. I got to watch them um, book their studio and their scheduling, and then go do concerts and come back and hustle and just go and grind. And I also noticed that they were happy. I also noticed that like they never ever complained about their work, um, and it never sunk in that's that they are entrepreneurs, but they, they are in, in that way. So I was never trained in it. Um, and I went, I, I, I was a business major in college for like half a semester and I changed. Um, I don't have it. It's not like a formal training or anything like that, but I think it's in my DNA. Entrepreneurship for sure is in my DNA. Mm. Was there anything before uh, bald man percussion that you would say was a, was like a business adventure? Delta Ray, that's my band. I mean, the, the bands are businesses mm-hmm. and I'm somewhat savvy with finances. So early on, early on in the band, we were kind of divvying up responsibilities and like, okay, so, you know, Britt, you're really, you're good at, you can just have, can you do social media? Like, she's like, I'll try it. And then, um, you, you, can you try to book shows? Like, sure. Um, we need somebody to kind of keep track of the money that we're making at these coffee shop gigs. And I was like, well, I'm, I can do that. So um, that's kind of how 
my first step into the, into more formal business stuff. But, but before that, when I was in college and after college, I was a freelance musician. So I was booking myself, never had a real job. And again, if you're a musician and you're gigging and stuff, you are an entrepreneur. So those listening, if you were a drummer and you're a working musician, you are an entrepreneur and have that mindset. Um, and what does that mean? It means that you are your own boss. You have to create your own revenue and keep track of it and find niches for yourself and find ways to make yourself hireable mm-hmm. and not fireable. <laughs> Were you like the de facto business manager for Delta Ray from the beginning? Like what, how did you step sort into kinda, that? Until once we got signed to, we got signed to Warner brothers um, a few years into the band uh, doing our um a few years in and we hired a formal business manager because then we were on the road a good 250 to 300 days out of the year. And we were zipping around the world doing late night shows, morning shows, concerts, meet and greets, um, wine and dine. It was just constant. So there's no time to, to, to work on spreadsheets or anything like that. So we had a, a formal business manager, but I was always the, the guy. I was always the, the point of contact for the band uh, in between the business management. And then once we we left Warner Brothers, then we signed to Big Machine Records. And after that, we went independent. And part of the independent thing uh, was we launched a Kickstarter campaign. Delta Ray launched a Kickstarter. We raised half a million dollars on Kickstarter. We became the highest grossing band in Kickstarter history. And we cleaned house. We got we we new management, new booking agents, new business management. And at that point, I was like, let me take over. But then long story short, uh, a dear friend of the band who is a professional CPA um, has volunteered to hold my hand and help me with the, the, the ins and outs of the bookkeeping and stuff. And she's absolutely amazing and a godsend. <laughs> mm. So the Kickstarter thing, yeah. what made it, what made it work? What was the secret? Our fans, our, our fans are, uh, are, are just diehards. We call them the Delta Ray diehards and they are incredible people. It's a little community of people of like, like-minded people um, that love the band, but also are really open with themselves. Our music is pretty emotional and it's very cathartic for a lot of people. So we feel like the fans find that as an outlet and there's discord channels for Delta Ray. There's little groups and friends, lifelong friends that have formed because of, of uh, their love for the, for the music. And um, they were the ones that caught us during the trust fall of Kickstarter. And side note, we left Big Machine Records the same week that Taylor Swift did. Now, we didn't know she was going to do that. But as a result, there was this whirlwind of of energy of support. So Taylor's leaving. Oh, my gosh. And all these Swifties came and helped us Mm. out with uh, with the Kickstarter as well. Man, there's so many like little tiny things and every path to success. It's like, how did, how do you, how do you plan that? So what did you foster early on with the fans? Was it literally just the songs or was there some efforts that you guys did? No, we did a lot of meet and greets uh, with with fans. um, We're very open and um, we're we're very open people in the band and we love to communicate with our, with our fans. So we would, for the first three or four years of the band, we would do meet and greets every single night. We'd play the show. And do an hour and a half meet and greet and meet all the people that came, shake hands, sign autographs, and talk to them, and then tear down the stage. Mm. Um, and well, our, our production manager would oftentimes start the tear down process. But then, as soon as it was done, uh, the meet and greet was done. We would 
go and and tear down and throw out throw out our voices for the fans. And there's something about on the ground floor those first fans when they meet you. Um, you're and you're you have the time and the ability to do the meet and greets. That's really what creates the real connection with them. Wow, I've got a couple of takeaways for anyone listening who has a band that's that's trying to make it happen. First, um, yes, divvy up responsibilities. I mean, that's just something that maybe you don't even think about. Like the leader might be the one that tries to do everything, and then no. it, that's the beauty of having a band. Is it's not a it's not a one man or one person operation. Mm-hmm. It's you you have to divide and conquer. Um, I was telling you earlier, we, you know, we have a newborn. I couldn't imagine doing this alone. You, you, you divide it up. Right. So, um, yeah, I think the same thing with band and find each other's strengths. And, and if it doesn't work out, like Brittany was our <laughs> booking agent for a hot minute, stressed her the hell out. And she's like, no, no more of that. So we, we, we changed that up. So, but just divide it up and, and hold each other accountable and treat your band like a business. There's a company called EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. It saved our band and it's a structure on how to have once a week meetings, 90 minutes time boxed, and how to divvy responsibilities. Humongous help. Mm-hmm. Rocks. So you got big big rocks, you got pebbles and sand. Those are goals, right? Sand, to-dos, like send an email. Okay, like little to-dos. Um, the pebbles are like um, the tour we're going to go on and the rocks are like album creation and career stuff. You can't fill a jar up with just the sand and then put the other rocks in. It will fill up. So you have to put the big rocks in first, focus on your big, big goals. What's our big picture? What's our 30,000 foot view? What we're doing as a band. Okay, cool. We got that. Now, next up, what's the monthly or the quarterly goals for the tour and for the album? Okay. Now we can talk about the minutia, the, the little to do. So that's the sand. That's how you fill up your jar. And that's the EOS thing saved our band. So bands listening out there, entrepreneurial operating system, big help. Man, that's amazing. I'm going to check that out right away. And the other takeaway, which is something that I noticed with um, uh, Dom Famalaro when he does clinics, is he shakes everyone's hand at every clinic. And you mentioned that. Meet and greet after the show. Meet everybody. And I think our tendency is to play the show and get the heck off stage and, and get in the van and get the heck out of there. Right. But taking that time... To just hang out. How how crucial is that? So that's a great. It's incredibly takeaway. it's incredibly crucial. Um, you know, it's those early those early moments, and um, we we still do a VIP meet and greet T- today. We do it before the show. It's mm. ticketed now, but um, yes, before that, absolutely shake those hands. I mean, those listening, I'm sure there's somebody you met your favorite drummer, and they took the time to say hello. Um, it, it you remember it, and you're you can be a fan a fan for life. All right. So given how busy you were with the band for for so long and building up that side of it, why in the world did you decide to start a percussion accessory company? <laughs> so when Delta Ray got signed to Big Machine, which is a country label, kind of did a pivot. And um, uh, we in the country world, there's a thing called radio tour and uh, terrestrial radio is still a thing in the country world. So this was back in 20. 20- uh, 17, I think, uh, 17 or 18. And our bass player and I, Grant, um, we were not part of the radio tour. They just had the vocalists go out and and go to radio stations and play songs for the DJ, essentially, and the program director. That's essentially what it is. So you're flying around 
doing that, but there was not enough budget for me to come and play Cajon or whatever. And so I was home for the first time for more than like a, a week at a time. Mm. And I kind of got bored. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I started both bald man percussion and drum team collective pretty much in the same week. Um, and bald, well, that's, that's sort of, sort of, sort of true. Um, I'll talk about the bald man thing first. Uh, we were, we were actually touring with, um, a band called the church sisters. And I had a really rough homegrown version of the junk hat on stage. We were headliners and the openers came in and Danny young was touring with them, the drummer. And we were both bald and he was like, Oh, Hey, another bald drummer. Hey, nice to meet you. We're, we're doing this, this run with you guys. What's that thing on stage. And it was this piece of plywood with zip tie chains and like hand, like just a crappy lid of trash can stuff. And um, I was like, Oh, well, I call this the, the trash hat or something. I don't know. I just kind of made it my garage, but it does this, check it out. And I showed it to him sound. And then a cool, like smack 808 sound. He goes, that's cool. Uh, never seen anything like that. However, I am a woodworker. Would you mind if after this tour is done, if I go home and kind of take this concept and make it a little neater for myself to play around with, I said, knock yourself out. And, uh, so then he did, and we were texting back and forth, different, um, versions of, it, and he was making it a lot better. And he did a late night TV show with Dan Tominsky. He put his version of the junk hat on there and Joe Saylor, the house drummer for, uh, Stephen Colbert was like, that's so cool. What is that thing? And Danny told me that he said that. And I was like, man, this is interesting. Let's, let's make a, let's, let's, let's make a few of these and see what happens. So that was around the time of radio tour. So I had some time at home to like do some quote business development. He and I just kind of going back and forth. And I would, I was in North Carolina at the time. So I would drive to Nashville. We would build a few of these drive back home. And um, yeah, so it was during that time off the road. And then also during that time off the road, I was driving to my younger brother's bachelor party and I got a random phone call from somebody asking if I could do a drum circle for a team building event. Cause they saw my Craigslist ad for drum teaching drum lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, well, I don't do drum circles and I don't know what team building is, but um, I'm driving for a couple hours. Can I just think for an hour and call you back? She's like, yeah, go nuts. So I thought, I was like, wait a minute. What if we take a concept of a drum circle and just take a drum set and explode it into a semicircle? And I see if maybe people can play one part of the drum set at a time. And I called her back and I gave her the pitch just in my head, not, not a proof of concept or anything. And she said, I love it. Let's go for it. And it's like, oh, well, okay. Now I have to see if this concept works. So I got some friends over and that don't play drums. And I tried it out and I strummed some guitar. I was like, all right, it could work. So that was the start of Drum Team Collective which was really the same and that same chunk of time that we were off the road, uh, the during radio tour. That is pretty nuts. So then when did bald man percussion become an actual business? Like you made a few and probably some yeah, of the friends. I mean, what did it? Well, I'll tell you what, man, you're going to like this. So I know who your favorite drummer is. It was also my favorite drummer. Um, we were, we made like 10. Okay. And just to see what would happen. And we put them up online and about half, half of them were friends that I knew would want one. And, and then a handful were just like people we didn't know that reached out on our Facebook page. And I made like a G like bald, I made a bald man in Gmail, you know, pretty generic um, email address. And I was um, 
I got out of the shower and I saw an email from Matt Chamberlain and it said, Hey, I want one of these. How do I get one? And I almost fell down. I was like, this is, this is banana. That's my dude. That's my dude. And, um, and then I responded back. I was like, sure. Here's how much money they are. And then I was like, Oh crap. No, no, no. I'm going to give it to you. What am I talking about? <laughs> um, so he got, I think he got one of the very first batches of it. So, and I sat Danny down. I'm like, okay, man, look, we let's make this legit. And I don't think at that time we really knew what the name of the company was. Um, we were calling ourselves like the junk hat, or we're just kind of just kicking around some names. And I was like, look, man, we're, we're going to um, be always be called the bald guys. Cause we were both bald drummers. Let's just, how about bald man percussion and not call it bald man junk hat or something like that, because that's going to paint yourself into a corner. Percussion has a much bigger umbrella. So we have more ideas than the junk hat, maybe down the road. Let's make it, let's set ourselves up for bigger success than just one product. Mm. So I was like, let's call ourselves bald man percussion. He loved it. And, um, and then I remember saying to him, I was like, uh, when it comes to this stuff, I'm a little bit intense. So I want to, this is not going to be a casual thing. This is not just a casual thing that'll fizzle out. No, no, no. And he was on board. So, yeah. How, how the heck did Matt Chamberlain find it? I think on Facebook. Um, I think it was just on Facebook. And honestly, for Matt, it might have been, I might getting, be getting my timeline a little bit mixed up. I think we might have been called Bald Man Percussion at that point that we mm. had, you know, our, we had sold through our first very first batch. I don't really recall. Um, but I think it was, I think it was just on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So those early days, I mean, you just create a Facebook page and, and what you just invite all your current Facebook friends to like it. I mean, how does it grow? I think that's kind of silly doing the whole, like my page thing. What we did was the very first thing we did was make a, a, a video and a very silly video. And I, and I'll, I, I reshared on our Instagram page every once in a while. And um, I just had this idea of like, what if we uh, we do different scenes and cuts of us demonstrating what the junk hat does, but we're wearing different wigs, different types of wigs during the video, but we don't mention it at all. It's just completely, um, it's just it, it, like, it's like, it's not having even happening. So um, <clears throat> we say, Hey, I'm, I'm Danny on a mic and we're two bald drummers. And this is our product called the junk hat. And, and we just kind of show it does this wig and it also does this different wig and what that did uh, unbeknownst to me it it had a it was the, a really good way of doing a commercial because it had levity but it also was very informative and it was under 60 seconds so um we all everybody listening knows the attention span that people have for ads now the shorter the better and it has to grab you in some kind of way but it has to be informative and uh and, and grab you in, in some way or another. So we put that up. Um, I think we just shared it on our, Oh, okay. So we started, we got the name, made an Instagram page and a Facebook page, Instagram page and a Facebook page, and then started teasing a little bit, made three or four posts, like coming soon in a picture of the junk hat picture of Danny and I like, Hey, we got some stuff cooking and we would share that with our friends and we would get a few hundred followers with that, just teasing it out. Mm -hmm. And then we eventually put, we, you know, we would all say like big announcement coming soon, big announcement coming soon, all of our pages, and then put the video up and then it started getting those views. So we used our own social media platform to, to drive people to the new one and then led with a funny video. Super smart. And there's like a, a little bit of a, a, a bonus that you probably weren't even aware of. Um, bald man. When, when I saw bald man, I thought blue man, blue man, bald man, bald guys. They're probably associated with the blue man group. There was a little bit of like a side, almost subtle, 
like parallel because you look like you should have been in the blue man group. Right, but we're not good enough to be in the blue man group. <laughs> here we are, the bald man group. There's just all these little things that made it like, again, I, I've been, I went to the NAMM show 16 years in a row and there was always like someone with some crazy kooky idea there. But I want to say 95% of the time, it's like, that's crazy kooky. It's never going to work because you don't have your stuff together business-wise. Right. Or it's just a little bit too like unnecessary. But when I met you guys, it was like, wow, this is, I mean, if any of these other guys would have brought this to NAM, we would have been like, all right, there's, that's funny, but it's never going to go anywhere. Huh. But you just presented it in such a way, like this sounds cool. It looks cool. It's kind of like, I mean, it's a trash can, but <laughs> like, they're going to make it work. It was really interesting to see the difference. Um, and I think well, it's I just because you guys took it so seriously from not just the like the product side, but like the way you presented yourselves, the everything about it was just really smart. So I appreciate that. Well, a couple of things to that point. Uh, first of all, both Danny and I are professional touring musicians and Danny has a lot of TV experience doing like home renovation TV shows. So he knows he's really good at presenting. Mm. Um, and I love just being around people and talking and, and I get excited around people. Anybody that knows mm. me, I'm a very ex excited guy. I love, <laughs> I'm just an excited kind of guy. And, um, and so it's natural for us, but uh, another thing about that, for those listening, like you mentioned like gimmicks and things like that. Do you think that the, you think that somebody is making a little gimmicky thing for the sake of making a gimmick? Do you think their heart's really in it? Do you think they, they use that product? Probably not. We made the junk hat for ourselves. We only make things that we like that we use on stage. Mm -hmm. Um, and if there's been some product ideas that we tossed away because we would never use that. So why would we make that? Mm -hmm. And it is similar to bands uh, and art artists that makes music that is sincere, that they like the fans resonate with that and they gravitate towards that. Why? Because it's an honest songwriter. Um, and then artists that are disingenuous with their music, the fans can kind of, they have a pretty high BS meter. Right. And I think the same thing with, with any with products you we we hit it off at nam or you or you gravitated towards us at nam because it's a product that we like that we use it's not a gimmick and um but but at the same time we want to lean on silly because we think the drum industry is way too serious come mm -hmm. on guys it's rocking we're hitting stuff <laughs> with sticks and let's have some fun so we intentionally have some levity in our branding as well with the name of the product um, the commercials we make, the videos we make, we try to keep it light as well. So on the business side, yeah, we we're buttoned up, but outward facing, we are silly people. Therefore our brand is going to be silly. Mm -hmm. And how did the, the junk hat kind of evolve from version one to where it's at now? And why were those changes made? Uh, Danny is an, a brilliant woodworker and designer and detailed person. I am none of those things. And uh, we have found that in our partnership, we, we dovetail pretty well. The, the things that I'm really good at, he's not. And the things that he's really good at, I'm not. So we lean on each other's strengths and to compensate the weaknesses. So earlier in this episode, I talked about how my first, the first iteration of the junk hat was just a crappy piece of plywood. I with zip ties. I'm in, I made it in five minutes. I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm not a very patient or detailed person. So I'm, I made it and it was functional. Good enough for me. Let's go on tour. Mm -hmm. And um, if it weren't for Danny, honestly, it would just stay in that crappy iteration and it wouldn't have gone anywhere. And so the different versions were mostly him 
messing around with different types of wood, thickness of chains. I would come back and forth from Nashville to, to Tennessee and we would uh, try to, for example, like the impact area, for those of you listening, if you've seen the junk hat, there's a piece of material that you hit to not hit the wood, but it's like a synthetic type of material composite. And we spent months trying to figure out how to get the, a chunk of the wood to be indestructible. We tried spray painting rubber, like flexi seal, uh, pieces of metal uh, that didn't work, different types of wood that didn't work. And I'll never forget one day we were having a beer and just looking at each other going, how the hell are we going to solve this problem? What, what is an indestructible material that we can use almost like a just like a decking material what could we do that's like a decking material that we could cut out like a decking mat- and we looked at each other like decking material that's what the impact piece is it's like a t- is, and it, we use a cnc machine it cuts it out so um it just takes being quiet or just sitting in the moment and thinking how do we solve this problem and just let your mind wander and then it'll come up mm. And then you then modified it with some extra sound effects and stuff. How did that come about? So we took a class called um, 60 Day Startup. It's with a company called 12 South Marketing here in Nashville. And they offered, um, they uh, they liked what we were doing. And they offered us a bit of a scholarship to come be part of this idea they had. Basically, it's a, a think tank. And it's a once a week um, gathering of people. This is back in twenty. 19, I think. And uh, basically they would say like, you know, 20 people in the room, what are some of your ideas for products? We do breakout sessions and how to take an idea to physical product in 60 days. So we were part of that group. And one thing that they mentioned um, was essentially add-ons. What do you have a product? What can you do to plus it up for better profit margins and to give a, a variation for the, for the customer? and possibly to get a return customer. And so I think, again, this was Danny. He was just like, um, what if we, what if we add like tambourine jingles or something? And that's how that started up. And we have a relationship with a metal cutting company here in town. Um, and so we also designed up some like different metal cutouts to give two versions of the add-on. So for those of you listening, the 2.0 junk hat has tambourine jingles with modified holes that you can put inside of the, uh, around the junk hat. And it has hand hammered cutout metal pieces that you can also attach to the junk hat. It gives it extra shimmer, extra rattle. You can take them on and off. Studio guys like it because you can add just a little bit of high end or take it off and get that raw uh, junk hat sound. But 12 South Marketing was the ones that gave us the idea of an add-on and how to plus up your product with um, just a little bit better profit margins. And then how did the, um, I don't know if it's a partnership, but the drum, the uh, the Big Fat Snare Drum collab, how did that come about? Um, so we met on adultfriendfinder.com, actually, funny enough. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> this is the family show. Crap. I couldn't keep my face straight. <laughs> so, um, so Chris, the owner of Big Fat Snare Drum, has been friends with Danny for a long time. And early on in the process, in fact, early on, I made a goal to, to get a patent for the junk hat. That was kind of my big rock. Remember the EOS thing, the rocks, pebble, sand? My mm-hmm. big rock was to get a patent. So I was really nose to the grindstone getting a patent for the junk hat. And and Chris had has a patent for Big Fat Snare Drum. So I was, um, and so Danny and I and Chris talked on the phone at length about 
how was your patent process? I just took notes and he was just very open and awesome about helping us out with that. So after that, we've just had a mutual respect for each other, texting back and forth. And I don't recall um, who, who had the idea of a collab, but something came up of like, Hey, what if you send us some about your parts? We have an idea for something. And I, I quite frankly don't remember who I, who had the idea. Um, but we just shipped each other some parts of our, like some of our chains and things and sound effects went to them. They sent us some, like the, some of the halos and, and tortillas and all that kind of stuff. And we just messed around the garage. Danny and I just messed around the garage. And um, then Chris, I think it was Chris that came up with like attaching our black chain onto some leather pieces to make a sizzler and having mm-hmm. a magnetic piece on the a strap to make a sizzler. I think that was all Chris. And we were just doing video chat, like, look at this, what that's cool. And we would like, Oh wow, that's awesome. Go, go back and forth. And then in the ball man garage, we were messing around with uh, their halo and attaching that. Remember that impact piece we were talking about mm-hmm. drilling that into the plastic uh, muffler for big fat snare drum and then attaching some metal pieces on that and kind of making a, like a, like a ribbon crasher, but attached to a drum muffler. And again, just going back and forth and, and prototyping. And that's how the junkie halo was born. Does that go, are you using that on, on, on the road with Delta Ray? Oh yeah, dude. I, everything that, that we make, I use. Um, okay. if, and if I don't, if we don't, nobody uses it, we're saying, screw it. This is, this is just a gimmick, but yeah, for Delta Ray, there's a couple of songs I actually use the bottom part of the junk hat. I hit it. I open the junk hat and I hit it from the bottom. So it goes like crazy sound. And then the halo goes like a glitchy white noise. So the bottom lid of the trash can of the junk hat is my backbeat. Boom. And then the hi-hat quote is the junkie halo. So when you jump reverb on that, it sounds like I'm playing a glitchy techno electronic drum set. But then in the chorus, I'll crash in and play the full-on drums. And there's an explosion of actual acoustic drums. So these products really give you electronic sounds um, <clears throat> without needing a different drum set. Mm. But you do have to have a separate hi-hat stand, right? If you want to use a hi hat and the junk hat, yeah, different you know in their hi hat stand. So I always I just have it right next to my um, primary hi hat. It's a good leg workout. You get to stretch your legs out and play both hi hats, and it, <laughs> and it's a good. It helps with the you know with like uh, limb interdependence too because you now you're going to use your left foot for something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a good exercise too. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Let's talk about the stank foot. That's what it's called, right? Last time we hung out a couple years ago, you were just developing that thing. Uh Um, How has it been? Um, I'm asking because I think of like... 
seems like the case when a product, a new product comes out, it does well, and then extra products do just a little bit less well. <laughs> you know, like it seems there's always like a bit of a tier. The sophomore slump. That's what we call it in the music industry. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Phil, it, has it been expectedly harder to market or has it been well received? How did it, how's it been going? Um, launching during a pandemic definitely didn't help. Yeah. Um, but because uh, with the way that the Stank book kind of came out, um, was I was doing an acoustic gig out in Cajon with a buddy of mine and there were hardwood floors and I had an egg shaker and my foot tambourine and Cajon and, and I had a big old piece of chain in my percussion bag. I wrapped it around my foot and I stomped on the ground and it was a cool, like kind of rattly, you know, junk hatty kind of sound. And people, I know there's people like, what is that? Um, and so that was kind of the catalyst. I was like, what if we make the junk hat for your foot or something like that? And and so I took it to Danny and he didn't love the idea at first, but we have a yes, if not, no, because policy with Del Trey. Mm. So if come up with an idea and this is good for any business. Yes. If you feel passionate about it, there is a, um, an ROI, there's a need for it. Yes. If sure. We'll, we'll chase it instead of saying uh, no, because I don't like the idea or no, because I think it's stupid. Um, if you have a yes, if approach to things, give it a shot. And because of that, it was like, yes, if Danny was like, yes, if it can do other things than just the stomping feature. Mm-hmm. So we, we got the, the, the foot thing with like a leather strap and some nylon strap. You can put this thing on your foot. So you got your chains and, um, I, I, I have one right here. Can I go grab it real of quick? Of course. Yeah. Right, hang on. So I actually have a stank foot here and I have a junkie halo here. So this is a prototype. This is a uh, pretty rough looking, but with no logo and no magnet on it. But we got this far with it, with our chains and then this leather piece and a nylon strap that you can ground or stomp on a metal plate. So Danny was like, yes, if um, it has more than one sound. So then he had the idea of, using a corrugated material like a washboard. So we, he reached out to a washboard company and now we would intercept chunks of washboard. And that way we get that Guiro sound sound effect. And there's two different sounds, uh, two different types of uh, corrugated material for those sound effects. So, um, and then honestly, it was Chris from Big Pass Nerdrum that came up with the name Stankfoot. We were texting back and forth. I was like, what do you think we should call this thing? Uh, that was his idea. And, uh, and so, yeah, we started packaging it up. And um, another, another thing is yet the yes, if it had multiple sounds, but we put a, a very strong magnet on this leather piece so it can attach to any drum mm. and it can attach to the Stankfoot plate itself. And as a result, it's a bit of a Swiss army knife of the percussion world. So um, Victor Andrizzo, an amazing drummer, he texted us, said, hey, this is on every single track of the new Brian Setzer record. That white noise sound effect, the Guiro sound, and then attaching this to the the um, the rim of the snare drum. So like Aaron Sterling uses that sound effect quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, chains on the um, on the snare drum sound. So that's kind of the how the Stankfoot started was a one- one trick pony being like stomping to get that junk hat sound on the ground for an acoustic gig. And then Danny saying, yes, we'll do it if it can have more sound effects. And then that started 
to uh, generate more ideas. So I'm just grateful that we had that mentality. Instead of saying no, because I didn't like it. He, he didn't at first. He didn't just say no, because I don't like it. It was yes, if, and, um, and here we are. And it won best in show at NAM, mm-hmm. at Summer NAM in uh, 2021. It's amazing. Yeah. So do you guys, I mean, what's your, your, your business model now? Do you meet every once in a while and be like, hey, let's think of new ideas? I mean, there are always new ideas being tossed around. Or are you f- refining and focusing? Where's, where are you at now with the brand? Well, we, this is not our full-time job. So um, we ha- we're always trying to find times of when to meet and, and, and stuff. We just text pretty much every day. Um, I'm on the business side of things. I do all the invoices and, and QuickBooks and um, most of the social media stuff. And um, I have a laser engraver here. And then, so we just try to divide up the work. He'll come over at our house, my house here and we'll just do like a, two days bender of sanding and staining and lasering and creating because every junk hat and piece is made by hand. Um, and so we just chunk out like, all right, just marathon a couple of days and then uh, write down the inventory, put it in our Shopify account. And then that's it. And we just, again, texting every day, keeping track. He's, he's, he, he does all the website um, stuff and all the artist relationships. So um, bald man artists um, helping out with that. Uh, so it's again just dividing, divide and conquer, just like the Del Trey model. Like, and there'd be times like, hey man, I can't handle this right now. Can you take over this? And like, yeah, I got you. You know. So let's talk about your. Um, I just realized I say so too much. That's a note for myself. You can talking. edit that. You can edit, <laughs> and it's gonna be like you going. Well, you know, and I. It'd be like a censored uh, hip hop song from the '90s, you know. I have a bit of a policy to not edit myself too much because once I go down that rabbit hole, then it's it'll just be a glitchy Max Headroom episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah, I always every time I see myself on here. So anyway, what was I saying? Oh, let's talk about your your drum team collective and how that. I mean, you had your first event. I'm sure you didn't right away think, "Oh, this is a new business for me." Like. When no, did it grow? I thought it was a yeah. I thought it was a one-off gig, right? And um, and it, it worked out. It was a company we did at the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Underwriters Laboratory was the company, and again, I mean, it was flying by the seat of my pants because I, I I borrowed a bunch of drums from some friends. I, I used the band Sprinter through all the stuff, and I and uh, I brought my younger brother to come just strum some guitar along. I was like, what if it'd be kind of cool if there's somebody to strum guitar. So why not come along? Um, and we set up in this ballroom and it was, it, it people loved it. And, and they were like, man, how long have you been doing this? This is great. And I didn't tell them that was my first event. Um, but the, the lady that booked me pulled me aside afterwards and said, they had a ball. If, um, if you were to polish this up and kind of package it up a little bit, we can, you, you could really run with this thing. And so on the drive home, I was just thinking to myself, well, well maybe this is not a one-off gig. Maybe we could kind of package this up. And then I thought to myself, like, it doesn't have to be just me. I can actually teach the program to other people like me, teach uh, drummers that are teachers and are good at public speaking. And um, so I just kind of, um, had the mindset of like, let's, let's try to, let's go for it. Let's try it. And again, Deltray was off the road for a little while. Uh, so I, I came up with a name, made a really rough website. I was having a little, had a, a surge of interest the first um, week or two surge of emails. Like I want to book, I want to book this. I made a commercial for it as well. Sorry, back up. I got this dad brain thing. 
<laughs> yeah, um, you got to back up a few steps here. I'm what? sorry, bud. I'm sorry, bud. Um, edit that all this out. <laughs> um, okay, so I did the first event. She said, "Yeah, the booker was like, yeah, this is this could be kind of cool. Package it up." So then a few weeks later, I called in some favors for some from some friends. We made a little rough video, um, like a promo commercial, and. Hired. I just I brought in some friends to kind of be in, that are like the age of people that would be doing these events, uh, so of like corporate team building. And we filmed a little commercial, and I put it up online. Hey, there's this new idea, Drum Team Collective, we'll call it, and it's team building. You learn how to play drums, and there's a rock and roll band with you. And immediately, my phone started ringing, and we got started getting inquiries. I was on the road with the band again at this time. I was feeling kind of overwhelmed and, um, and then I put up online. I was like, Hey, um, does anybody know how Google ads work? I'm trying to figure this thing out. And then a Delta Ray fan who I didn't really know named Adam Morgan messaged me said, Hey, I'm a fan of the band. I know about Google ads. And I think your idea here for drum team is brilliant. Can I take you out for coffee and talk? And long story short, we became business partners mm-hmm. and he's been with me ever since. And again, dovetail relationship he comes from the corporate side i'm from the music rock and roll side and we work really well together um and and that's how we started kind of making it more of a legitimate business and it's been growing ever ever since when you say you put the commercial online where'd you put it i put it on my personal instagram page and personal facebook page i don't think i had a, a, a business page similar to the bald man model um, just kind of leaning on my, our own platform for that. And then people started sharing it and, um, Ludwig drummed. I'm a Ludwig drum artist and Ludwig ended up sharing it on their Instagram page, which was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, just leaning on my own personal platform, uh, to get that word out. But then again, this is a corporate thing. This is not for drummers. Bald man percussion is for working drummers. No working drummer would hire Drum Team Collective because it's corporate team building, right? Mm-hmm. So I was leaning. I was leaning on LinkedIn using corporate hashtags, using uh, different a different method. I was not targeting drummers. I was targeting HR people or people that would potentially book um, a corporate team building activity. Completely out of my wheelhouse, mm, <laughs> but yeah. I'm learning. And there's another takeaway there. There's a lot of little nuggets here that I want to make sure to highlight because it goes by so quickly. Asking for help. That's oh something is that you're willing to do. You don't know what you don't know. And I don't know most things, but I want to do everything. <laughs> right. Okay. So, like, I want to do everything. I can't. And how do I do that? With other people. It's all about people, man. It's not like relinquish some control. Like if I had my way on everything, everything would get done quickly and poorly. Mm-hmm. And then I'd move on to the next thing. Same I, have, yeah. I have people that support that. Like I find here's again, my the hand thing. I got my, here's, I'm good at this. I'm bad at that. Find people that fill in that gap with where your weaknesses are. And likewise, it's a good chance that their weaknesses are your strengths. So, um, Never be afraid to ask for help. And with the drum team thing in particular, I've always said I would rather own 50% of a $10 million company than 100% of a $500,000 company. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Makes perfect sense. Yes. Don't be afraid to ask. I need to, I need to write that down for myself because it's, 
I've spent so many hours doing dumb things, like how to how to Photoshop out the background of a photo. <laughs> I could have just asked somebody, how do you do this? They and, would have shown me. And, you know, when you, when you do that, when you ask people, they're going to be flattered. Like, oh, thanks for reaching out. Like, um, that's awesome. Because, like, Mike Dawson, you have some clout in the drummer world. You're kind of a big deal, in my opinion. And when, when, when Mike Dawson said, like, hey, can you help me with this? You're, they're like, oh, man, thanks so much for asking. This is how you do it. There will be a time in which they go, hey, Mike Dawson, can you help me with this? I got a, I got a podcast question. I got a drumming question. I, you know, mm. it goes both ways and it should go both ways. We all have things to offer. We all have things to bring to the table and strengths and weaknesses. They can, you can just flip them around, flip, flop them around. That makes no sense. Again, I'm a hazy brain right now. <laughs> with gravy. Well, you know, a big, for me, always a big hurdle for me launching an idea has been budget. <clears throat> you know, like. How much, like, like Drum Team Collective, you said you started out where you act, you called in some favors. Does that mean that people did it gratis or you said, I'm going to set aside a couple thousand bucks, see if I can turn this into something? Like, what? how do you establish your initial investment? Um, it's amazing what a round of beers will do. Hey, guys, can you come film this thing? Help me out with this. I'll buy a round of beers afterwards. We'll have a good time. Mm. And, and, um, these are, it's not like I do this often. These are just friends of mine that I've known since high school that are really savvy at film. And I don't know, I think people in general want to be part of things. They want to be part of exciting things. So, um, I, I just, I'm just not afraid to ask. I mean, um, but that was for the filming of drum team collective stuff. Um, but when it comes to like doing the event and cash flow and the budgeting to your point there, my policy in general is um, use what you already have or borrow things and don't spend money on it until there's a paying gig. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for example, the first gig that we did, it was a kind of a proof of concept. I borrowed some drums from people. I used the band sprinter and um, I, and the money that I was going to make from the gig itself went to the travel costs, you know, and paying the musician and paying myself a little bit too. pay yourself first. That's a big, 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 big business note, pay yourself first. Mm. Um, but I didn't want to like buy a thousand dollars worth of drum or $2,000 worth of drums on a concept. I wanted to prove it first. Same thing with the junk hat. Mm. We, um, we did like a pre-sale. So we had income coming in guaranteed this much money. Okay. We can spend this much money on making the product. So we're not going to go out of pocket for anything. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a how I personally do things is just cash flow positive as much as possible until there's a proven concept, and then you know, okay, now we can take out some debt to we can take out you know five k to buy these drum sets because we have these events on the books that aren't paid yet, but we know we're going to bring in fifteen k and have a, a decent profit margin. Smart, cash flow smart. positive when possible. Well, let's let's shift into your drummer world now. Um, is Delta Ray still keeping you busy touring, or what's the status with the band these days? Um, we are so in 2019, we launched a Kickstarter campaign, like I mentioned before, and did really really well. And we were set to go out and tour and uh, independently. March of 2020 was our big. Oh my! <laughs> so, um, womp womp. So that was a bummer. <clears throat> So, uh, and what we did was we created an online platform called behind the door. It's essentially Netflix for Delta Ray. There's a paywall, 10 bucks a month or a hundred bucks a year. 
and fans subscribed to it. We made each band member made essentially TV shows and we would upload them once a month and we would have live streams and all these different offerings behind uh, behind the scenes unreleased material uh, every month was new stuff and that kept the band afloat in a big 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 way and we went on tour um 2019 october through december and it was good um you know highs and lows because it was still omicron and it was still very tricky uh, but we made it work and but the whole behind the door thing has been really wind in the sails for us because it allows us to create content, feed the fans without going on tour. Mm-hmm. So this past year, we have pretty much not toured at all. And it's worked out pretty well for us because of gas prices and ticket sales overall are sluggish and you know all this kind of stuff. But we've been really focusing on the behind the door stuff and creating more music. We had this crazy idea. We live streamed a recording session and one take, that's the album went to vinyl and we and we invited a few fans to be in the room while we were recording it and there were cameras filming us recording an album no click track barely any like we could and barely any rehearsals in a live string quartet so it was like the most stressful thing one take on camera filming us making a record and that was up on spotify so we've been like because we're independent we are just going bananas with crazy ideas like that no label would let you do that. No label mm-hmm. would say, oh, sure, uh, let people watch you record an album and put it to vinyl. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, we're really running with it quite a bit. What is your your setup for the band? Oh, my gosh. Um, so I'm a Lud- I Ludwig drums, Vic Firth drumsticks, Remo drum heads. Um, and my setup is a one-up, one-down Luddy uh, 22, 12, 16. I use... Uh, on the road, I'm using an Acrylite right now, which I love. Um, symbols, mostly dream symbols and a few zildjians here and there. I got 16 inch uh, hi-hats, which are well, two crashes, 16 inch, real mushy, uh, a 20 inch K ride, an 18 inch Avita's zildjian crash, a 20 inch dream crash with rivets. Okay. And then I have a eight and 10 inch rototom set up above the hi-hats. I got the Ballman percussion junk hat to the left of the hi-hats. I have my junkie halo on my snare drum, big fat Ballman junkie halo. And then I have a jam block next to my floor tom for some woodblock sound effects. Then I have to my right Ohm Glockens, which are German tuned cowbells and is tuned to a C minor chord. And so I do these ostinato things where like I do, I'll carry a melody with my right hand with these Ohm Glockens and playing the pattern, the, the, you know, the backbeat and drum pattern with my left hand. And I can big shout out to Gary Chester's book, The New Breed, which focuses on the limb interdependence and being able to do all that kind of stuff. So that's my drum setup for the most part. I don't, I think that's pretty much it. It's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. As a uh, little bit of a Glenn Kochi vibe to me. <clears throat> oh, I love Glenn Kochi. And then I have a, I have a percussion box full of stuff like the stank foot in every other song, different types of muffling things. I got a, a Ringo style tea towel for the floor Tom for some songs. And the stank foot comes out on a handful of songs and yeah, all sorts of different stuff and DB90 metronome as well. Mm. 
Is that the, the old yellow knob one? The old yellow knob one. And I love it because I have foot switches. I got an on-off foot switch on my left foot. And I have a toggle foot switch. I can program different uh, tempos on my uh, right foot. So songs over, kill it, and then tap over here, toggle to the next song. And not everyone in the band has clicks. So I'd be very delicate of like, okay, who's starting the song? Don't run click. If this guy's starting it, he doesn't have click. Uh, so it's, a, it's definitely a dance. And then one other little magic trick I have on my drum setup. I have two iPod touches. You got to remember those things? Oh, yeah. On a piece of metal. And I use a Vic Firth like uh, drumstick holder clamp. Put that on my hi-hat stand. On those iPad touches is an app called the Backbeater. Mike, have you ever heard of the Backbeater app? No. What is it? It's a free app. And you get a little trigger with it. It plugs into the eighth-inch part of your um, iPod touch. Okay. You attach that little trigger to your snare drum or your kick drum. The Backbeater app is a speedometer and it tells you what it's like a beat bug, but way better. <clears throat> and it tells you what you're playing. So songs without click I'm playing. And I know if it's hundred BPM, my backbeat should be 50. And if I'm playing at 50, I can, and I'm looking at it. Okay, cool. We're good. And I'm paying attention to the band. I look down up oh, 51. That means I'm at 102, maybe just back down just a smidgen. Or, mm -hmm. or if I want to bump the, the chorus up a little bit, I can do that and make sure that I'm not dragging on that chorus. Mm -hmm. The backbeater is the, I love that app so much. Nice. Man, you hit us with so much stuff. Um, we're about done here. Um, I mean, I think you kind of answered this, but I want to give a chance to maybe kind of give it in a nice little buttoned up package. Um, what? is the number one thing that a drummer should think about if they have an idea that they might want to turn into a physical product. If a drummer has an idea to make a physical product, I think rule number one is make sure it is useful and that's something you would use and don't put anything in the marketplace unless you've put it, you've done it on stage with the band or bands um, uh, 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 50 times. Like, don't even think about bringing it to market unless it's something that you love, that other people love, and that and it and it's and it adds value. Dope. That's the one thing: add value. Last question: What was your first snare drum? A gr oh, I love that question. It was a Dixon Piccolo. Okay, the, the, my first real snare drum was a Dixon Piccolo, thirteen inch by. Um, by three and a half with the Camco style lugs, you know, the round, the round oh, Camco yeah. style lugs. Yep. And I had maybe 75 bucks or so. Yep. Why that drum? Cause it was the nineties and you, <laughs> I mean, it was cheap and it was a piccolo. <laughs> Come on. Why that drum? I just had to have you say it. Mine was a, a wood pearl piccolo <laughs> from that era. <laughs> See, I, exactly. I mean, corn, limp biscuit, like, like, come on, splashes and piccolos. And you know what? Timestamp this because my <clears throat> prediction, you know how the trend right now, it's mushy, big symbols, splatty, highly compressed, almost distorted stuff. My prediction, five years from now, the Dave Matthews band, spin doctors, sound, splashes, small hi-hats, thick symbols, maybe not thick symbols, but the small hi-hats and pickle and, and bright sounding stuff, they're coming back. All right, Mark, Mark, this is July 21st, <laughs> 2022. So by July 21st, 2027, 
Yeah. We're all going to be referencing 311's first two records. And you're going to go, we'll be going to interviewing drummers uh, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. Like, what was your first snare drum? Oh, I had a uh, a fifth, a uh, fourteen by eight uh, pork pie detuned and just blatty with the forty-two strand wires. Poosh, and we go, oh my gosh, I can't believe he played those. <laughs> they sounded so dead. Oh. <laughs> oh man, well, thank you so much for um, coming on the show here. I'm gonna get you, let you get back to some rest and hopefully, but um, let's kind of get so our 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 business side here drum team collective anyone interested in that where can they find out more about it and then also um, all the things you're doing with ball man percussion what's the best way to keep in touch one way honestly my my website i don't update it too much but it's kind of a hub mikemckeedrummer.com and it has a, a delteray drum team collective and ball man percussion all there uh, but everything's searchable with instagram uh, Bald Man Percussion is the most active on Instagram and then uh, Drum Team Collective on either LinkedIn or on our drumteamcollective.com site. But again, you know, MikeMickeyDrummer.com uh, has everything. And then my personal Instagram is just MikeMickeyDrummer and I'm easy to find there. Thanks for coming on, man. Um, Dude, thanks for having me. It was really good to see you. I feel like I owe you a couple hundred bucks for the uh, consultation hour here. <laughs> I just hope I didn't go too fast and maybe people can do the half speed. And, uh, <laughs> All right, it's time to get back into our shop talk segments. This week, I am over at Hawthorne Drum Shop hanging out with the owner, Chris, and checking out a Slingerlin Radio King kit that he basically discovered that hadn't been touched in decades. It's from the 1940s, so Chris just brought it back to the shop, hadn't touched it yet, and we're taking a look at what all is there and what to look out for if you're going to be buying one of these old Slingerlin Radio King kits. We have an interesting brand new find for you. This is a Slingerlin Radio King. Right, nineteen. Yeah. When? What's the what's the deets that you know? So it has aluminum badge. So we'll probably put it like 1944, 1945, okay. World War Two. World War Two. What is the shells? So these are like the classic. You think of Radio King shells, three ply with the big old fat re rings on the inside. Okay. This is a. Uh, I think it's a seven. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> this is my DW nine thousand. <laughs> Oh, I'm about that. <laughs> it's a Super Gene Krupa. I think it's a 7x14. Solid shell maple snare. It's got the original wires on here, the muffler. Um, I was The pictures that I saw on the listing, like, I couldn't tell if it had the arm. Mm -hmm. It's got the arm on there, which is good, so you don't have to buy a reproduction is arm. Is it normal for the wire to be wrapped all the way around it like that? No. I don't know why he did that. Probably, well, actually, probably to keep this in place, because there's... You can see that the they hook on to the actual clamshell on both sides, but they're also um, upside down. So oh. it's probably something to do with it. <laughs> they are upside down. Yeah. Goodness. So where'd you find this kit before we go more into the um, details? I found it on the internet. So this was just stored in someone's house for 60 years? So the guy got it from Queens Out Houses, which is sometimes where we get our kits is, you know, or snares where people will clean out a house and then they oh, have this old drum kit. Mm -hmm. um, it's just kind of interesting. I was slightly bummed because, uh, it, it, if you guys can see, it's got a tack bottom rack tom there. And over here. Yeah, again, the pictures weren't like that great, but that's basically the tack is pretty much destroyed on the bottom. There's no tension left. So I was hoping we could just kind of like clean it up a little bit and sell it as a three piece, but since that's like un not functional. We'll probably sell this 
not one separate from each other. Mm. So these originally came with a, tu a tunable batter and then the bottom was calfskin just tacked on. Yeah, terrible idea. It is. Why wouldn't they just put another set of lugs on it? Um, they started doing that later. You know, I, maybe I'm not a historian, but I think somewhere around this time is when they came off like the, 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 the dual tension. Mm -hmm. um, but it was also cheaper to do it that way, probably, since mm -hmm. it's less lugs, less drilling. But again, it was a technology thing. You know, as obviously time went on, like drum technology got better. Like, let me try to see this example here. Um, I don't, you guys can't see the throne back here. I do not know if this is actually like a catalog throne. I've had another one like it at some point, but. Imagine playing all, a three eight set show on that bad boy. I'm pretty sure that this was actually made by somebody because it's got, you know, it looks all legit. Um, and I've had another one, but like that's what you sat on, you know, so. Gosh. You got a hydraulic <laughs> rock and sock right now and now you're sitting on this. Wood. I mean, that's like something a a, a school we like an old school would have or something. Super weird. Yeah, and look look at this. So like, the everything attaches to the hoops. So we have a dual cowbell holder up here. This one is missing the tightening thing on there, and that just literally just attaches onto the hoop. The spurs, which I was happy had both sets of spurs, because a lot of times. Either one like one side will be missing, or the actual spur will be missing. So those are there. Those are the originals. Yeah. yeah. It's got the original red felt external bass drum muffler, which is also attached to the hoop. Original heads. Certainly, yeah. There's a there's a pretty good rip on this side, which is kind of a bummer. But original calfskin heads. This is the symbol arm there that again attaches to the hoop. Wild. That's a. Would this normally be on the batter side, maybe? Probably, yeah. I literally just took it out of my car and brought it in. <laughs> so we'll probably go over here. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, this is a UFIP, I think. It's probably an 11. It's got a set of. Little tens? Yeah. Oh man, I have a, a, like a weird thing with threading, like when metal scrapes <laughs> threading. Oh they, my gosh. These sound great. <laughs> But these were more than likely not born together. Some of this stuff was pieced together. The throne, or the, the uh, excuse me, the hi hat stand. Can you see that? DNM. I, I have to look that up. It's DNM drum manufacturing, drum manufacturing out of New York, Long Island, New York. But it's missing part of the clutch on the top. I think there's probably a screw that goes in the threaded part. But it's uh, <coughs> excuse me. Other than the other than the missing. Not that would go here. It's yep. functional. It works. You certainly wouldn't be doing anything super intricate, but it's interesting that the the, um, the heel plate is elevated. Yeah, kind of a neat piece. And you know what? I bet if you're wearing like dress shoes with a big heel, you needed that. Yeah. <laughs> in order to get over the. I've never seen a heel. When I like picked it up, I'm like, oh, this should this probably needs to flip the other way. Yeah, it, feels, <clears> it looks like it's just wrong, but it's not. Wild. It's it's kind of cool, like how many how like few moving parts there are, on like the old hardware. And how's it? Uh, I don't really want to. I'll end up breaking it. That's interesting piece. Interesting piece. This oh, thing. It's got the original Epic pedal. This part's bent here, but again, this would just attach to the plate. Oops. 
obviously this beater has seen better days. <laughs> but I always liked, I always liked uh, how kind of intricate the footboards were in these. Yeah. Kind of neat. And again, this is all functional. A lot of times, like the later pedals, see this is epic. One is number two. This would be, these screws would come out, but like that's actually, looks like it's tacked in there. So the stuff's like pretty well made for how old it is. So what, what are you planning to do to get this thing sellable? Um, how far are you gonna take it? Not very. So with nickel, some people like, like to clean nickel a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't, number one, because it's like really time consuming. And because I, I think it kind of looks cool. That kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, like, patina is like a, a buzzword, I guess. But I look like that's really cool. Just the, 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 the wear on the finish there. Like, obviously, I don't like that, that rust. But I probably will just, <laughs> you guys probably can't see, but those are just screws. Pretty recent, looks like. Yeah. <laughs> they used to do those with, they used to do that with leadies, because they had a different, some leadies had a different screw, like a thread pattern. So you would get like a leadie snare and it'd have all screws in there because they were really hard to find the tension rods are skinny. So I'll probably swap out the tension rods, maybe take off some of the rust, get this functional, and then leave it. How hard is it to find a new lug to replace that? Oh, uh, you can get them. They also make reproductions. Um, I think actually DFD sells those, Mike. I don't think they do my nickel though. Mm, they won't look like this. Right. <laughs> right. So I think I have one of those that I'll put in there. Um, but I don't have much of the inside. There's a good bit of re-ring separation there, which is common on Radio Kings. And it's kind of a difficult, not that it's a repair. Usually all I gotta do is like glue, glue the ring, clamp it, leave it. Mm. But for some reason, the Radio Kings are hard to, to get to stay. Mm. More than likely just because it's a solid maple shell. I think Chris Hewer in Los Angeles is one of the few people I know that I can actually get it to stay. Mm. So a lot of times, I'll just leave it. Um, one other thing, too. I don't know if you know this, Mike. But Radio Kings are known to barrel. So if you have a, a twin lug drum like this, so meaning that there's a dual tension, over time, the drum will go and it'll kind of like barrel over, so mm. it sticks out. And you'll see that sometimes on Ludwig's too, and you'll see kind of some splits here. These drums typically don't split, but if you really can see, it kind of looks like almost comes out just a little bit like that. Oh, wow. So that's why you see the ones that have just a, a single streamlined lug in the middle. Yeah. Those are the ones that are more valuable just because of the way that they hold their tension. Oh, no kidding. Mm. I always thought the two lug was the was the one. I like the way the two lugs look myself. Yeah, but this is kind of a neat little thing. Um, I don't can't tell. Usually the, the hoops will be stamped, but they're just so like pitted, and that doesn't look like they are. Just kind of interesting. Oh, also, so when I went to pick this up, like. There were like five high or five symbols in the hi hat stand. <laughs> All these guys stacked up. This is probably a twelve, and then this is a transition stamp Zildjian. This is in pretty good shape. This is a U-fit, and it's got a crack in it, and it just looks like. It looks like it's been even shaved down. Maybe, maybe it was a yeah. twelve at one point. Yeah, but that's kind of. 
in there. And then we got a first stamp Zildjian. I think this was a 30 symbol. But if you look at the stamp, Mike, you can see the difference in there. Oh, yeah. So these were not bought at the same time. I was hoping, like, when I went to, like, a, to, like, put them, like, pick them up, that they would fit and make a set of hats, but... They don't. Nah. One's a 12 and one's an 11. So they'll be splash symbols, yeah. This is pretty heavy. It might have been a hi-hat. Probably was. But, mm. yeah, sometimes when you get, like, I mean, this kid has been around for, what, 80 years? Something like that? Oh, yeah. Stuff gets added on, taken away. You know, this was not the way that it was more than likely bought. And um, what are those? Those are the, the tens? Yeah. That's the... With the weird... Yeah, they like, called... So, like, this one, like, with the big bell, they call it, like, a sock hat. Mm -hmm. And you would see that type on, like, low boys often, and I've had them in hi-hat form. They're just kind of, like, small and clangy. And then this is just... I didn't even look for a stamp on this one. It looks like it's almost an English-made symbol, but Where's it's that definitely other weird. Twelve. Oh, Over there. <laughs> this one down here. Another. Yeah, this one is just like a. <laughs> it's like it's almost like a like, uh, you think like Back to the Future. I mean, is it even a real symbol? Or is it just? A no, that that's probably a sock. A sock ad. Nuts. That's nuts. This probably all came out of the, you know, the same factory. It's not like a high quality. There's no lathing to speak of. So if you guys are into stacks, man, like... <laughs> you can fry some eggs on yeah. that thing. No, this would be cool. We won't do a whole lot. Like, we're not going to take everything apart. We'll clean it up, make it look presentable, and then sell these two separately. I mean, this is more of a museum piece than anything, right? Like You'd be a... surprised, man. It's 26 thumps. And it's, a, it's not like that. That's the thing is... You look at this and you're like, oh man, like the guy we got it from, he's like, yeah, my buddy, he's a drummer. He told me to throw it away because it was a kid's kit. I'm like, well, I, I didn't say this. And maybe he said, he's like, oh, my friend's an idiot. <laughs> um, but this is a completely playable kit. This is a single tension design, but. Oh, right. Single tension. I always thought Rated Kings were solid show all the way around. Mm, I have had, I had a parade drum one time. It was a 16 that was a solid show. I've never had, you know, any other drums that were solid shells. They might exist. Hmm. Um, but DW actually did some drums in the early 2000s that were similar, kind of designed off this. Um, DW Classics. And they, mahogany shell, big old thick re-rings, and that was kind of like their throwback to Slinger. And I'm actually interested to see what they do now that they own the rights to Slinger. Right. Yeah. So, so some new Radio King. So this would have been used uh, most likely for a big band or something yeah, like a sure. theater show or something. The bass drums back there were, were like so big, and then they got small, and then they got long. Mm. <laughs> so, it's weird. There's not a, never a floor tom with this, right? Is that there? Uh, might have been. I mean, there was there was like outfits where you had a tunable tom there, a tunable tom coming off here on a mount. Um, sometimes you would see a floor tom on a cradle. Mm. Um, the 40s is like really when they started to change like technology-wise. Mm -hmm. um, added legs, all that stuff. But I looked it up and I couldn't find, there wasn't a catalog I could find for 44, 45. So I did not see, you know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't like uncommon to have bass drum, rack tom, snare drum. Ludwig did that, Slingerland did that, pretty sure Rogers did that. Hmm. Wouldn't have a floor tom. So. You can't play sing, sing, sing without a floor tom though. <laughs> What are you supposed to do? I don't know. Have you ever tried playing out a floor tom? 
It's challenging. <laughs> I got to play it this weekend. There you go. <laughs> Sweet. Slingerland Radio King time capsule. That's it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed my chat with Mike and my hang with Chris. If you do like the show, please head over to Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast, or YouTube. If you're not subscribing to the German Factory Direct YouTube channel, please go over there and do that now. We are posting tons. Every episode goes up there. Plus, I'm putting up, you know, like 10 lessons are already up there. Actually, more than that. Some live performance footage, some product demos whole lot coming over there on the Drum Factor Direct YouTube channel, so make sure you head over there now and subscribe so you don't miss out. Also, if you don't mind dropping us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else, that helps this show pop up on more search results. Again, we want every drummer on the planet checking out the show and hanging nerd out with us, so thanks for your support, and we will see you next week. <laughs>